Hello and welcome again to the Wide World of Wargaming, Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, we are your hosts, Alex, uh, John, Jeremy, and Garrett. We got a lot on our plate today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Seraphon previews that are going to be coming around the corner uh, with a book that comes out uh, this upcoming weekend. We're also going to take a look at a uh, event that went on in Norway, a GT, the ArmCon 2020 event. Uh, and then we are going to have an exclusive interview with uh, Scott Reed, which is the uh, the frontline gaming TO of choice, at least for the SoCal and the LVO uh, Age of Sigmar GTs. So uh, we are going to dive into the details here, as always. John, uh, what's on that workbench of yours? What do you got going on? Hey, how's it going, Alex, Jeremy, Garrett? Good to talk to you guys this week. Well, first things first, uh, it is a Monday, and today I started teaching my advanced class. So I've already ran my voice for about nine hours today, and I already feel the stress. So I figured that I better do something to kind of to ease the stress. And, you know, I was looking up um, like like things that singers and professional speakers do, and there's a lot of things that are offered out there, uh, ideas of drinking like a lemon tea or even a glycerin gargle. But the most consistent thing I see is that a good scotch on the rocks will help your throat out and keep you going all <laughs> week. So this week, again, I've gotten out the Bale Vinny Double Wood, and we're going to use that to uh, ease the voice. As far as what's John, actually I'm yes. Uh, did, did, did you uh, circle back and find your own articles on this subject at this point? <laughs> you know... It's funny that you say that because I was I was thinking to myself, it's like, if I ever did my own podcast, what would that actually be? And I'm like, oh, I could do one where I review bourbons and scotches and that kind of stuff. And I figure that my first five or six episodes, I would just go through my own bar. And then hopefully by the sixth episode, I would have a sponsor or something and start getting something in there. Otherwise, it would be a short run show. <laughs> that said, what's been on my workbench this week? Well, you know, I've continued to work on my Nurgle army. Uh, that is for our Escalation League. So I've been doing some basing, which is not much, just glue and gravel on stuff and what have you. Uh, actually took some models and added them to bases that did had uh, old square bases before, that sort of thing. Um, as far as games go, uh, I actually was not able to get down to the game store and get in my league game. So actually I have a 2000 point scheduled for this coming Wednesday. I did get over to my buddy Sean's house and we played a little bit of 40 K. So always nice to roll the dice. I actually broke out my dark angels for that. Now that the Marines have been backed down, I can play them against my friends and not feel like a total chump. So that was uh, a lot of fun over there. And then here's what it comes down to for me. And this is, this is a thing where I, I really, I, I value the input of my co-hosts, my teammates, my friends, uh, even our listeners. So if anybody wants to offer me some feedback, going up to the Rose City Wrath later this month, okay? I'm flying up there. Now, as far as flying goes, I have all the stuff. I have my K&R case, so I can easily travel with any of my armies. But here's, what, here's where I am, is I've been playing Nurgle, been enjoying my Nurgle. Nurgle looks good, been building a lot of new stuff. Not a strong army. Not at all. Fun, good looking, but not strong. I haven't been playing my Skaven lately, but I think Skaven still does pretty good, and I'm pretty sure I can play them. So I could drag my Skaven up there. And as I've said several times on this show, my third option is just borrowing an army from Jeremy. And 
I was talking with Garrett a little bit before the show, and he and I were talking, and one of my concerns, and this this may be dumb, this may be funny, I don't know. My real concern is, like, I don't actually want to play against Alex or Jeremy at this tournament. <laughs> right? Doesn't sound fun. These guys probably stomp my face in, two of the top players, so I don't want to come in with anything too strong and end up having some, some smace, face smashy games with these guys. So... I'm not really worried about bringing the best army, but what what should I bring to the Rose City Wrath? So right now I'm looking at Nurgle, which is what Garrett thinks I should bring. I'm looking at Skaven, which is just easy for me to play as far as that goes. And then my third option is I've been looking, you know, Jeremy said I could borrow one of the armies that he chooses not to do. And I'm really interested in trying some naked redheaded men on the table. And so... Since I can't get Garrett on the table, I was thinking that maybe the Fire Slayers might be the right choice for that. So, what do you guys think? What should I bring up for the Rose City Wrath? Should I bring the Nurgles? Should I bring the Skaven? Should I borrow the uh, Fire Slayers from Jeremy? Jeremy, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, my thoughts are very simple. More Dwarden on the table is always better. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, like... Not I, I hate the idea that uh, people uh, think like any army is bad. Okay, let me let me correct that statement a little bit. Uh, some armies don't play as well as other armies, but no army in AOS is definitely awful. I can't think sure. of a, I can't think of a single one. And what that means is like it, I'm taking an army I think and only do four and one at best at the at the event. And, and and for some people uh, and and for some people who know me, they'll be like, "What the hell, Jeremy? What the hell? Are you taking a four in one army to an event? Like that doesn't seem like your you know your personality." But anyway, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to be taking. I'm going to be taking Caradon Overlords uh, if I get them finished painted. Actually, like very high conditional, I got to still paint a ton of them by then. <laughs> um, but my recommendation for you, John, is uh, as always. Uh, play, you know, what is fun and also what makes the ho the hobby enjoyable for you. But if you want to play an army that is basically like Nurgle, but more competitive, yeah, you can you definitely play my Fire Slayers. <laughs> I, you know what? It's funny you say it that way. I know exactly what you mean by by that, though. So I I appreciate that. I uh, I think it might actually end up coming down to just my choice of hey, there's an army there, and I don't have to hassle with travel, and I've always wanted to try it out anyway. So that's my my kind of a list right now. Uh, as far as winning or doing good, that's not really my overall concern at this tournament. I'm there to have fun and enjoy Portland, that's for sure. So, awesome. Uh, what about you, Garrett? What do you think? Should I uh, stick with the Nurgles or, like Jeremy says, uh, naked dwarven men and have some fun? Well, um, yeah, I'm sorry I can't be there to be your naked dwarven men. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it could you could come at it from a different perspective and maybe use this as an opportunity to broaden your horizons and maybe try like Iron Jaws or oh. Fire Slayers or something you've just never played before. Experience mm. the different armies to try to like broaden your viewpoint of how everything plays, which could then make you a better player. So you since Jeremy owns, I believe, almost every army in the game, uh, you basically have almost everything to like play around with. Oh, that's that's interesting. You know, I've actually never played a destruction army and I've never played a death army. Two complete, you know, alliances that I've never used. That that's an interesting thought. That might be fun too. Awesome. Yeah, so there's like 
um, Night Haunt uh, that Jeremy has. I mean, you could bring OBR. And I have. Yeah, uh, um, Alex also has Night Haunt, so you could try them out if you want to try an interesting death army that probably mechanically is something you've never played before. Right. Um, try Destruction with Iron Jaws. It might be fun to just, like, since you're going up and borrowing an army, borrow something you've never played before because you're not you're hoping not to win because you don't want to play against Alex and Jeremy. So nope. play something you've just <laughs> never played. <laughs> you know what? I like what you're saying. I think that's the right way to go. Now I'm going to... Uh, actually, when you mentioned Night Haunt, I hadn't even considered that. I think I'm actually going to take some time and look at both books and see which of the two kind of the, the rules kind of speak to me. Maybe look at a little bit of the fluff. And uh, I think I am going to try one of those two, Night Haunt or Iron Jaws. I think that's the winner for me. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, heck, uh, for Riptide, as an example, our good friend, teammate and literal judge, um, our, our good friend Bronson, he is borrowed my entire night hunt army. In fact, it was literally my LV or my SoCal open list swapping lady. O for, um, for my, uh, for my black coach and, uh, went to riptide. Uh, you know, he, uh, didn't know the army very well, but had done some practice games, but he ended up, you know, doing, uh, better than he had expected. And he borrowed an army. So, Hey, that's the benefit of having a lot of friends who have a lot of armies, right? Yeah. That sounds awesome. Awesome. All right, so, so it sounds like I'm a, yeah. I'm a opening no, shot. I actually have secondhand <laughs> system. Jesus. Uh, all right. Well, I actually so, do have a recommendation for you too, John. Uh, I really? Think you What's should that? try. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you should try just, the. Just, uh, sorry, I just want to point out, like Alex, don't worry, don't worry, you're, you're important too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that has nothing to do with that. No, I just, I just, I had something come to mind. And um, I think that you should try to borrow the Deepkin, actually. The Deepkin? But I own Deepkin. There's nothing new in that for me. Yeah, but the, the, the environment has changed since you last busted out your Deepkin. Uh, this is true. This is true. Hmm. You know, the army hasn't changed, but interaction. He he means there's more shooting armies, John. Bring Deepkin. (laughs) (laughs) There's something to be said for that. That I'll be honest with you, that's one that's been strongly on my mind up to this point as well. Uh, One, I know Deepkin very well, so I can play the army easily. Uh, I've got a game in with them in the last three months, so I've played them recently as far as that goes. Uh, And of course, Jeremy's Deepkin army just looks amazing as well. Um, The problem is... Uh, I, I feel I don't want to like lose any deepkin this time. And and I, I got through with the skin of my chin last time. I don't know what would happen if I touched that. Already <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, moving on from uh, John's uh, exciting workbench of not working on anything and <laughs> borrowing everything. Perfect. Uh, so my workbench, um, so I went to a tournament this weekend and I have uh, continued to fail and underperform. And so I uh, did not do well. I went one and two. Uh, I've been pl- playing around with Cities of Sigmar. I've been having a lot of fun with them. Um, I'm I'm kind of in this attitude where I'm playing really sloppy because I'm still like practicing with certain units and trying different strategies and kind of you i use the rtt as a way to just get three games all in one 
And so I'm playing very sloppy, but trying to like analyze like what the result of certain actions are, which then ultimately mean I make bad decisions. And like I was talking to my buddy Sergio about after the fact, he's like, Garrett, why did you do this? And I was like, well, I kind of wanted to see how it happened. And that did lose me the game. But like I, I just I'm playing just like I'm not really my heart's like not into like winning with the army. I just am trying to play with all the pieces independently as not an army as a whole, which I think I'm suffering with. Um, so I'm still going to keep going with the cities of Sigmar. I got my uh, 20 dark shards and my Sluster Huraconum all primed up and ready for painting. Um, and I'm playing with the idea of adding in some Dracoths. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep going down this road. Um, until I get my Alariel back and I might jump back into Sylvaneth from there. Don't know. Do have to make a decision soon because I'm going to Forge Hammer at the end of April. And so I will have to have a fully painted army done by then. Um, but for now, I think I'm going to paint the things I enjoy playing with in the cities list. And worst case, just bring a fully painted Sylvaneth force. So... Yeah, just kind of using the Cities of Sigmar as an excuse to actually get back into painting, play around, try a lot of shooting and different types of things and see where I go from there. And maybe eventually I will be able to win a game. It would be nice. Yeah, right? Yeah. I really, I wish you the best in in uh, not choking right. any longer. Um, it's a requirement and it upsets me. Frequently. I know. Like, I'm honestly at this point where I'm just like looking forward to the next general's handbook because, like, with all the new stuff that has dropped, it's just like I just need. I just want the new general's handbook to just like come in and fix things. So I got till June, but it's like, oh crap, it's still March. I have to get through all of March, all of April, and all of May before the general's handbook even thinks about coming out. You know, it's yeah, funny. So. Uh, everybody doesn't know this, but uh, in the background, Alex, our co-host here, is actually like a, a very—I don't want to say pushy person. That's the wrong, that comes off wrong. But—but <laughs> uh, but he he pushes us to do better, and not in an obnoxious way. He's not like a drill sergeant. He's like, "Hey, maggot, you do better." He like he like encourages. He's like, "Hey, man, you know what are you doing?" Blah blah blah. Talks it through. Tries to encourage people to go to events encourage people to participate he's it's actually really nice to have somebody uh do these kinds of things on our team like i said uh pushy was the not way i meant to it it pushes us to to try harder and do better so that must be nice he just shits on me all the time oh yeah help from alex it's just garrett why do you keep sucking i'm sorry alex i'm a failure to the family well here's the thing what what john doesn't doesn't realize or maybe he does realize is that though i'm pushing everyone else i have someone constantly kicking me in the ass uh, and that's uh, jeremy so uh, i can't tell you how many times i've had him be like don't fuck this up uh, or like don't forget this rule and then if i fuck up he's like i'm severely disappointed in you so we do have seraphon coming around the corner this weekend it is uh you know, it is the oldest battle tome in existence right now for Age of Sigmar that hasn't yet had an update. Um, it is, you know, a book where right now, as it stands, it's got a lot of weird, wanky, janky mechanics, a lot of kind of uh, edgelord, tricksy stuff that you can do, whether it's flying over things and doing mortal wounds as a kind of bust your nut once per game thing that you can just try to dissuade your opponent from finishing their game. Or, you know, you bring a bucket of 160 skinks to the table and tell them you're going to bring an extra, 
you know, 1,500 points to the game or something else. You know, and right now there's a lot of weird ways you can play this army and it's very unique. And that's, of course, going to change because there's a battle tome just around the corner. And thankfully, like always, the NDA is lifted a week before. And a lot of people have talked about the uh, battle tome. And, uh, you know, there may not be full rules dumps in certain avenues unless we're hitting the dark web or have a good uh, uh, insider info. But a lot of information uh, has already been out there. And of course, uh, the battle tomes have also been updated on the Games Workshop web store, even if the app no longer updates the War Scrolls a week before as well any longer. So we already know what all the War Scrolls look like. And because of the, uh, say, the, the NDA lifts, we already know a good majority of uh, at least the rules portions of things here. Now, to start off, uh, you know, it looked like there, you know, in, in a lot of these armies, whether it's, say, Bone Reapers or Ma Tribes or some of these other more modern ones, you know, you usually have around four to six sub-factions. But now with, uh, you know, with Seraphon, the first thing to get started with is, is the fact that you're split up into two separate types of Seraphon, either armies that have been coalesced, that are on the ground, who have started to adapt to their environment, and Starborn, so guys that are still in their spaceships, uh, not, not really memories anymore like it was in the initial fluff for AOS. Um, and, you know, there are two sub-factions for each one of those, for coalesced and for uh, 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 Starborn. Um, and there are some pretty big changes between them. Now, uh, Jeremy and, and Garrett, I know that you guys read a little bit of some of this information, but uh, Jeremy, can you uh, tell us a little bit about one of those two factions? And maybe we can start the discussion off there. Uh, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, so the way they basically uh, rewrote uh the Seraphon book is, and, and it's very important. And I know I'm going to talk about the allegiance, but they lost the demon keyword. They're no longer demons. Uh, and they're no longer memories. So I think uh, basically uh, if I was going to put it that way, Phil Kelly told uh, the rest of the, the, the AOS lore team that uh, no Seraphon's lizard man from space are not demons guys. Let's get, get let's get over this. Um, and that actually plays a huge role into how the army rules are actually kind of designed. Uh, so the the coalesced are the and like literally coalesce me like as in like if you think the word coalesce it's like people you know collection or like put together. Uh, so the seraphons or coalesce are actually the ones which kind of like sur stopped or stopped living in Azure on the spaceships and are basically like spread and colonized in different parts of the molar realms, and they are designed to be more feral. Like the rules are effectively designed to be a little bit more feral. The, their their extra their allegiance abilities I believe is one extra attack on their jaw abilities, which for the most part is not that exciting uh, in itself unless you're playing a ton of Soros warriors and and you'll see a quick pattern here is is in your and you'll find out is that yes they want you to play lots of Soros warriors for those um, and they also have unmodifiable bravery so or their bravery cannot be modified but I think most of their bravery change to values of six and seven across the book so it's not like you know it's they're they're no longer demons effectively so they took that away from that class so the coalesced ones are closer to reality um and then, and uh i want to give it to gareth for the star host but i'm not sure if you <laughs> have you read the star host at all gareth <laughs> the starbound or whatever they're called now 
Uh, if I if I remember correctly, the Starbone they actually get the summoning mechanic, which is your if your general's alive, you get an uh, you get D three points, and then if you have an Astroth bearer, you get D three points, and then for each of your wizards, you can choose to have them only have one cast a turn, and then they generate an extra D three points. That's great. Uh, yep, so that's you, right. it's oh, less. Wait, so that, wait, so the coalesced don't have summoning? Correct. Nope. Oh, okay. So yeah. They... Oh, real quick, real quick. Hate to interject. There was one more part about coalesce we didn't review. The ones on the ground they also reduce all damage taken by one to a minimum of one. Yes. So two damage weapons. Oh, yeah, one skilly, is D three, three minus one. So, so they're. they're they can't summon, but that is a relatively hardy factor against high damage armies. So all two damage weapons are one damage, D3 are D3 minus one, etc. Yeah, yeah. And once again, um, I'm sorry for the audience who probably read the War Scorn was just as equally disappointed as me. Basic source wars are not two wounds. Anyway, Gareth, please continue. Well, I, on, the, on the bravery front, I think, uh, as you were stating, Saurus have bravery eight, actually. Um, Saurus warriors, Saurus guard, they all have bravery eight, and then skinks generally have five or six, and then all the big monsters seem to have six. So there's there's the actual bravery breakdown. And then, obviously, the Slon have nine. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, back to Starborn. So they have the summoning mechanic, which is much more toned down than what it was, where you just say, I'm not going to cast four spells this turn, so I get 4d3 points, I believe it was, or whatever. Four, uh, it's four points. It was, three oh, it was four points. Yeah, so it's it's a bit more toned down and less spammy and abusable. I haven't seen the table to see how many points things cost, so I don't know how abusable the point system but, is, as is, because, I mean, you still get 2d3 straight off the bat every turn. It's... And pos- Three D three, right? For you get your, your general, general and an Astroth Barrow give you one D three each, and then your yeah. casters can get you an extra. You get a D three per caster if you don't want to cast spells that if you don't want to cast more than one spell per That's caster cool. that turn. So it, you can still get quite a few points. Um, then the engine, the big other thing about summoning, I'll go on is the engine of gods summoning is much more uh, reduced. It's a lot harder to get summoning. <laughs> you also can only have one engine working at a time. So you can't just spam engine of the gods, spam skinks everywhere. Thumbs up, call it a day. Uh, the other thing that I believe, if I remember, Starhost get is you can teleport the old Seraphon teleport a unit every turn. Yeah. Yep, Lords of Time and Space. Yeah. So um, while previous iterations of the teleport, you had to roll a die to see if you could charge or move or whatever. After this one is just pick up a unit, tell pick up anywhere from the board, teleport anywhere onto the board outside of nine of enemies. So it's just Oof. change out. You basically just get change host as an army yeah. ability yep um so that's the basic abilities of the star host if i i and then um you all of your guys have higher bravery i believe instead of unmodified yeah, bravery, bravery 10, 10. They, yeah they everyone just become have, old seraphon yeah so they all have bravery 10 wait wait so, are these are these separate i mean can a can any given model be either coalesced or starborn no or your each whole model is- has your whole army has to be one or the other it does. So when you go Starborn, it changes the leadership on the... Yes. Okay. okay. Everybody become a bravery 10. I will preface this also. Something that we can talk about later on as well is the fact that there is no requirement on any of the battalions that you be coalesced or Starborn. So no, you there, can, is. there is. There is. There is. Yeah, yeah there, there is. There's two different battalions. For, they're the same battalion, but with two different names. And they have different rules. But if you're... You, one is for coalesce and one is for... Uh, starbound and then the remain the remainder it won't matter 
the remainder. Uh, like all there, the rest of the battalion. Oh, I think there's there's what? Yeah. There's there's more than two. There's like six. There's five battalions. There's a mega battalion and four unique battalion like well, four battalions for each factions, basically. They're all the same. They're like they're they're the they're basically the way they decided and it's actually very cool. Uh but they like I'll give you an example. One of them is the three source war units and uh, the um old blood. And they give for the coalesce, it gives the uh units uh, basically an extra run their jaw attack. And then on the star host one, it gives an extra run to their uh actual pull arm, the Celeste pull arm. So it's basically okay. you you're you're so if you're a star host, you get an extra run on your pull your your pull arms, and if you're um coalesce, you get an extra run on your jaw attacks, which is cool because if you're coalesce, you get an extra attack on your jaw attacks. So that's yeah, kind of like how they designed it. That's what I'm trying to say is like you can use these – they're going to have different abilities, but you have the ability to use them. It's not like you know the star ho- – that star host is – or um, um, you know that one is only exclusive to yeah, just Coalesce. Yeah, it is. It's, a, yeah. it's you know, specifically only like Coalesce. Yeah, so it. like the Coalesce, Old Blood, and Three Source Warrior Battalion improves the rend of jaw weapons. The star host battalion that is – Old Blood and Three Source Warriors. So they're two different battalions that do different things and are only mm. accessible, but they are built. They're essentially the same battalion because it's Old Blood and Three Source Warriors, but they're called same different box. things. They do different <clears throat> things, but they're generally the same thing. Like they improve the rent of either the jaw or the weapon, depending if you're um, a yeah, coalesce or not coalesce or Starborn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yep. this, this actually sounds pretty fun because now what we're talking about is I, I only have to buy and build and paint one set of models. But yep. then I've got multiple ways to play with that same kind of find yep. Yep. Uh, what works. Hey, this this sounds really cool, you know. Yep, it's um, very nice. It's very nice. So then I believe of the Star Host and the Coalesce, there are two sub factions under each of those, which are the like uh, hosts or whatever you know other factions tend to have, which give you a command ability, command trait, a relic, and a general ability um, as well. Oh yeah, so the standard stuff we expect yeah. nowadays. So, but e- each of the like this, this, the star host has two, and the coalesce has two. So you like there are four available, but two of them have to be played by star host, and two of them have to be played by coalesce. It's so. It, it, so I got to ask. You guys have looked at, at the rules. Myself, I've looked at some of the war scrolls. I've been reading some of the stuff on uh, community. What do you think? Am I going to be able to build an army of all big dinosaurs? You legally oh. can. <laughs> um, to, to quote, to quote uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Garrett, continue. You legally can. Yes, you can build an all stegodon army. All stegodons. Well, you can, and you can throw some other dinosaurs in there, but the stegodons okay. are the big ones. I mean, you can legally bring just big dinos nice. if you wanted to. It's legal. It is a legal. it is a legal play. Let's just reiterate that it's legal. It's legal. I think I'm, like, I'm, I'm hearing an I'm hearing an under a subtext. Here. I mean, yeah. let's be real. The all steam tank army has not performed well. The all like every the all like any time that there is one of these, you can bring all big guys. It doesn't do well. So like I don't know how well this all stake army is, but if I'm just going to go based off of previous iterations of all big things lists, they don't do well. So I'm yeah, just going to assume it doesn't. They suffer Fair the same enough. problem. Um, old OBR used to do, which is, which is, or sorry, not OBR, Beast Claw Raiders, BCR, um, which is that their, their monsters don't count for extra models. They only count as one model for objectives. Oh, yeah, well, truly. Yeah, without that, yeah. 
That, that, that's the most important part. And, you know, the problem is these, these playtesters were so uh, preoccupied uh, with whether or not they could, they didn't stop and think if they should. <laughs> to quote oh, man. Dr. Ian Malcolm from oh, Jurassic Park. How, how many Jurassic Park references are we going to get in this episode? I feel left out. I should have queued up like a whole list of them. Well, I so, yeah. Nothing. One of the biggest problems too is that like, um, so, you know, one of the nice ability of running an eight Stegodon list if you wanted to, um, not that we should legally, you know, we should, legally you can, but not that you should, um, is at least if you play them at Starbound, you have a summoning mechanic so you can actually bring uh, models onto the table, which helps with scoring, which is one something like uh, Beast Claw Raider has a problem with for the Steam Tank Cedars of Sigmar list. But then they they kind of like they wanted to nudge you an extra step into not doing that because they gave uh, the one sub allegiance because you know not only do you get to split your Seraphon army into two different allegiance or sub allegiance, there's another sub allegiance below that which is kind of like you know your typical AOS like book. Uh, there is the I forgot what they're called I, and uh, but they give uh, all monsters uh, effectively two extra wounds as a generic ability. Oh wow. Yeah. But it's the Colossed version, so you can't summon and take that version. Yep. That's right. But, but that's two extra wounds, and you reduce all damage by one. Mm-hmm. So, I, I yeah, they're like, they're, you can tell they thought about it. Like, that's my point. Like, they thought about it. They're like, yeah, yeah, you want you want to solve your, your scoring objective problem, but also get an extra two wounds and not do that? Come on. Think about <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, um, I will start. Uh, I mean, Alex, do you want to say anything, or uh, should we just jump right into generic overviews of the army? Um, I'll start before Jeremy gets into his old triad, unless you have anything to say. I'm going to Lewis Black this thing, so kill for it. Oh, yeah. boy. Uh, well, then I might as well get my uh, shoot my shot while I can. Uh, yeah, you know, this army is interesting. It's clearly not as abusive. You can't be an edgelord and play this army anymore. I mean, you can, but you won't do so well. Um, there's a big factor you and I, that none of us have really talked about so far that I think might be an interesting topic of discussion, and that's the fact that they have the ability to use both bound and unbound uh, endless spells, essentially. And when I say unbound, I just mean normal endless spells. So they have a premium if they want to bound bind an endless spell, and the endless spell that is bound is essentially just 10 points more than a regular endless spell. And they don't have any unique faction-based endless spell. It's all the endless spells that every single army can run. We're talking Pendulum, Bale Wind Vortex, etc. They can either uh, pay for the endless spell the way everyone else does and have it act just like everyone else's. Or they can also spend the 10-point the premium, essentially, and have the exact same spell, which the War Scrolls are actually on uh, in the Battle Tome as well for all the spells, uh, as well as this new point cost for them. But it's kind of like the OBR one, but better. So, you know, if you have a Purple Sun, for example, and you're a Seraphon player and you bound it, so you paid uh, 60 points instead of 50, that means that you have this spell that is cast by your wizard and you always move it no matter what, just like the, um, the soul bound endless spells from OBR. However, you're not minus one to cast and those spells cannot be unbound at all. Wait, they cannot be unbound or they cannot be dispelled. Uh, they cannot oh, be unbound. Which my means apologies. They-, they can't be, they can't be, uh, they can't be dispelled. 
They can't be dispelled by your opponent or they can't be dispelled at all. That's a tricky thing. I haven't been because I don't have the exact verbiage. I, it really depends. The 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 resource I I had said that it can't be dispelled. Um yeah. so what do maybe you, what, maybe exact uh, verbiage is different. Yeah, cuz if it works I mean, like the excuse me, if it, if it works like the Caradron Overlords one, then basically they get to automatically cast the uh, endless spell like you can't stop them from casting it but once it's on the board it can be dispelled like there's a different there's different wordings no for those no things. unfortunately not so so you can't uh, and maybe we're getting in this misunderstanding but basically what we've we've deterred so far is that your opponent or sorry not your opponent can dispel the spell and unbind it but once you have a balance spell like you cannot unbind you cannot dispel it yourself it's it's limited to the serif. I mean, I don't know why you would because you get to control it, so it doesn't really matter. But um, it's it it. I think it was like a weird limitation they added. Uh, I think it's maybe because they didn't want people to take advantage of the fact that you could uh, use some of the other mechanics that they have to uh, you know remove it from the table and then recast it during the same hero phase. And mm. I'll trigger. I'll trigger my. This is like this like speech is like triggering my Lewis Black mode right here. Like okay, it's you're triggering your trap card. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, let's talk about the positive things before I, I start shitting on Games Workshop a bit more. But anyway. <laughs> so, okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll bring some positive spin on this. Um, well, I mean, may, maybe we should end with the positive, but whatever. Uh, so, going through a lot of these things, I think they have a lot of interesting tricks. And I think it'll be a fine, solid army. Like, I'm looking at, like, Sylvaneth, Corn, Beast of Chaos, level solid. Like, I know a lot of people will, like, shit on Beast of Chaos or Sylvaneth or all those things. But I like those books. That, that's kind of the power level that I enjoy, actually. I think they have a lot of good base level mechanics. Nothing super abusable. Um, and you can do a lot of interesting things with them. I mean, being able to teleport. Like that is really, really powerful. Being able to just pick up from anywhere and go anywhere. You can surprise the crap out of people. Like they constantly have to zone out objectives. They can't abandon them or you can just throw 10 skinks or a random uh-huh. character and steal them. So they make your, they always make your apparent, uh, opponent second guess things and um, shit like that. So I like the, the teleport mechanics. And then there's a lot of fun little mechanics in here. Like one of the sub factions has a command ability where your skinks, after they're charged, they get to shoot the unit they charged and then on a four plus run away. So as your skinks are getting charged, they're just going to be shooting and running away. So skinks lost the runaway in combat mechanic, but they have now a command ability from one of the sub factions that like that lets them do it in the charge phase as opposed to the combat phase. Um, there's a lot of ways to get a lot of pluses to save. So you can have a big block of. 40 um source warriors that have like a three or a two plus save against shooting um and there's a lot there's a lot of stack there's a lot of sub synergies between their characters that i really like um and a lot of the stuff isn't over costed like source warriors are uh 100 points for 10 or 90 points for 10 and 320 for 40 so you can get a big block of uh, 40 source warriors for 320 points that start with a four up save reduce all damage by one have two attacks apiece plus a jaw plus two jaw attacks and they, they could just be a nice good efficient 
unit and you can just put buffs on them to make them even more efficient astral sparrow gives them a six up shrug save a skink priest i believe can get them uh sixes to wound cause mortals uh there's just a lot of interesting things you can interact with all of your units they have a balance of shooting they got some big monsters um they just have a lot of interesting things and i think we have yet to figure out exactly how to play seraphon you definitely can't play him like you used to and i think there's a lot of uh tools in here that people can come up with some interesting lists that'll perform they're not going to be obvious like chain shells blowing you off the table turn one but i think a smart player can come in with a lot of synergy a lot of just good overall units and perform well that sounds good i tell you what i i myself look at this army and you know uh, I'm not one for paying too much to previews. I like to wait till stuff comes out and read the real deal. So I, I haven't dove in much in it, but I can tell you a few things. I have always liked the look of the Seraphon models, especially those big dinosaurs and stuff. Uh, not a fan of the massive skink summoning and all the skink armies that we see nowadays. So I'm hoping to see less of that. That's certainly not what I'm interested in playing. But this is an army that I do want to give a try out. And <clears throat> I have a little... A little thing up my sleeve, and that is our good friend, Paul McKelvey, actually has a large Seraphon army. In fact, the only thing he really doesn't have is a bunch of skinks. But he has all the other stuff. And the day I saw that the Seraphon army was being announced, I hit him up with a message and asked him if I could borrow his army for a while. So <laughs> I am hoping to uh, get that from Paul and give this army a run for the money over the next few months and see what it's all about. So I, for one, am looking forward to uh, putting some big dinosaurs on the table and chomping some uh, some little gribbly guys. So that's that's about what I'm looking at here. What about you, Jeremy? Give us the the true insight of what's going on. I think uh, my opinion should be reserved for last. I think Alex has uh, some strong positive light he wants to bring. Like ah! I'm just like the, the meter is just reaching max level here. <laughs> oh boy! Well, you know, <laughs> shoot, we got to check your blood pressure after recording. Um, what I think, uh, well, I think that there's a lot here, and you can have your fun Stegageddon list. Um, you know, I like how Games Workshop is now of the mind to nickname their lists before the nicknames come out. Uh, I think that's cute. Um, so the Stega Stegageddon list um, is not great, but hey, you can. Uh, they have two allies. They have Sylvaneth and Stormcast. So maybe you can find some cool combo there. I, I don't know. Um, there's something. Can you, you can you pronounce that word again for me? The the name of that war scroll, please, for the love of God. What war scroll? Stega Stega. Stega what? No, the Warhammer uh, community it's... article. They talked about the all Stegadon list last week, and they called, ah, it, the, they, right. they, they called it the Stegageddon list, um, which was just all Stegadons. It was like eight Stegadons. Um, got oh, stake eight. Oh my god, I'm dumb. Uh, is that what they mean? Like the number eight in the middle? Wow. No, 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 no. It has nothing like the word eight. No, no. It's like Armageddon, but with a Stegadon. Who writes that for them? Like fourteen. I didn't dude? say it was the most clever thing. I just it is the cleverest thing ever. We, you know what? Everyone but you, Jeremy, loves it. Yeah. The entirety of the world laughed at Stegageddon, <laughs> except for you. This is Jeremy's like Frenchness, like not understanding like English, like you know mixing of words and stuff. He just he just doesn't get it. 
Oh. It's, it's because the English culture doesn't understand how to mix words. They just kind of like just ram them together like two bulldozers. In a, the entire English um, language the is German built way. of ramming. The entire yeah, English language is eight languages merged into one just ramming okay. into each We're other. Not, so. Okay, that's for a separate podcast. <laughs> Jeremy's too high class for this. But uh, what I will say is that I think that the clear winner, there's there, there are clear lists that you're going to start seeing pop up. And you are going to see a mix of coalesced. And you're going to see a mix of Starborn. But I think that Starborn is going to be far more the competitive option um, simply because of the summoning mechanic and the fact that they can still teleport um, a lot, uh, you know, uh, units a lot more easily. Um, sure, it doesn't have the same type of effects or the same type of bonuses that you might get in a coalesced army, but they have their own set of really effective tools. So um, I think that if you're going to play coalesced, you're probably going to be a maybe a three and two army. If you play, uh, you know, I think Seraphon in Starborn will be like a finesse army, like a, like Nighthawk, where it's like, uh, you will normally be considered, and I'm using air quotes because I hate the idea of actually tearing armies up, but like in terms of effectiveness, because it truly depends on the general. Uh, I think that overall it's going to have maybe a similar win rate to an army like Nighthaunt, but with a few players who really know like the ins and outs of the lists and the army, you're going to see those players do incredibly well with those armies. Um, but overall, I don't think that it's going to be meta smashing or dominating in any capacity. Now, right. So what you're saying is that good players will do well and everyone else will do okay. Yes, exactly. But, you know, right now I hear the pot. I hear the little whistle. It's out there in the distance. And I know that it's just going to get louder the more we, you know, the more we push it away. So uh, I know we got to get to it. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? I'll start with this uh, video. I have some positive things to say, very brief and short. Um, the design team did a good job at rewriting the book to be less punishing or providing negative feedbacks for your opponents, like running away skinks, spamming units on the table, like all these things through summoning. Cool. I get it, guys. You guys toned it down. You get it, did a great job. Um, but why the hell did you write Disciples of Zinch 2.0? Like, that's literally what the book is. It's just Disciples of Genes 2.0. So they, unlike Disciples of Zinch, they have no shooting, like, at all. Like, ex unless you want to bring Bastilladons, effectively. Um, and for the most part, they just decided to introduce this army that has summoning, that has teleportation. So it's like paying for change hosts, but without actually paying anything for it. Uh, oh, and also um, have the ability to take two of the same endless spells per game. Why? Why the hell would you design your arm like that? That seems like an overly abundant, ridiculous like mechanic. Like if I take two Geminids, a bound one and a not bound Geminid, I get to just make an entire like army just minus two to hit for the most part, and then for one unit and another one minus two attacks. Like it just doesn't seem reasonable from a design perspective. Uh, additionally, you've decided also to make Seraphons like a bit of flavor for every book you've just written in the last six months. They're like they play like OBR with command points. They have a ton of ways to generate like three to four command points a turn, uh, which is cool if you want to play source heavy, which you should, because they're a basically a two up saved large block unit with uh, a six up shrug. Uh, on top of that, you have summoning uh, an ability to teleport a unit, and you can dominate the entire uh, uh, magic phase. Period. 
the ability of also uh and this is something i was very shocked that they they did not address in the fact for the supposed zinch which is that the spell eater head from a lord of change lets you unbind um an end of spell during your hero phase which means that you can cast that same hero spell during that same hero phase which is something you couldn't do before and it's why people take like this office and you're taking uh abusive mecha- abusing the sh- literal literal crap out of that um by basically, you know, stacking it of the demon, the demon rift. Now, seraphons get to do that same bullshit, a little bit more challenging. Uh, except theirs affects all endless spells, which are not bound. They have a generic spell uh, that gives them the ability to unbind all endless spells, which are not bound within a certain AOE radius, and it's a cast value of nine. Um, and it is. Uh, but it's for them. It's not that challenging to get it off for two reasons. A, one of the generic ability we didn't talk about Seraphons is the Slon uh, gets to change their spell from the lore every turn, and then secondly, their one of their command trait gives them a, an additional uh, plus one to cast. Uh, sorry, not plus one to cast. It gives them an additional ability to reroll one to casting value per turn when they're already getting plus two to cast. From the astrolith bear and their ability uh, generically, I, I I don't know. Like it's just it, why would you bother writing Zinch disciplines of Zinch 2.0 for order? The army plays almost identically the same. If you oh, oh I, f- I forgot to mention, you know I lied. I, I kind of lied earlier about shooting not being a mechanic. Oh no, they can shoot the shit out of you if they want to. They have salamanders, which are now basically we're going back to the old days of of. Zinch oh Skyfire. yes oh my gosh like, i'm so sorry we totally didn't talk about this and and the razor dawn which are now better because their overwatch mechanic it doesn't it's not a dice roll anymore it's just half the amount of shots they used to get like it's <laughs> so, so seraphons is one there's one of the books i'm like you can really do whatever you want of that book and it's going to be just solid now if you're playing it like you used to, which is summoning skinks and not fighting and summoning bodies, well, too bad. The army doesn't really work that way anymore. But you're playing the Zinch army we just that just came out literally like a month ago, less than a month ago, but better. So um, I I don't know about you guys, but I'm just my blood is pumping because I'm like the design team had such a they did such a good and unique uh, representation of the army, but they just copied too many mechanics from other books, like from the last few books. They, their play is basically like a mix between OBR, their uh, disciples of Zinch army, uh, and they now made endless spells. Like I'm like I'm glad I painted a demon riff for my Caradon Overlord for the spell in the bottle because I'm pretty sure. I'm going to be playing against a lot of magic users for the next like, six months between Zinch and Seraphons. It's just, it's so bad. I feel like a lot of your issues with this book are things that are very uh, specific case, like uh, the, the double casting of spells. Um, so yeah, I feel like they could just fix that in an FAQ. Like, oh, you can't take both the bounded version and the unbounded version. Um, I, that seems like a simple one. And I, I don't know. I just I just feel like they like they can make one of the spells like being cast at the start of the hero phase or something like that. I feel like there are things they can do easily with an FAQ errata to rein in a lot of your issues you have with this book and bring it back to the like. I wish it was a solid book that it is. 
But Ben Johnson on Twitter said that was intended. Like, so unless Ben Johnson is totally like a lot, like doesn't actually work for Games Workshop, <laughs> and they're like, or he's just, he's gonna have to send an apology later letter that says like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, uh, we didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> it's just like, um, they, you know, like people they already asked him that question about the bound and the spell and the end of the spell, and they, yeah, that's this is how we wanted it to work. It's it's just a, such a weird like dynamic in my head because they get some of the best casters for cheap like their salons are not that expensive skink oracle priests are not that expensive and and one of the additional work like mechanic for me that was really problematic is you're you're they made all of the ways to buff source warriors use basically command abilities but then they give them the ability to generate a ton of command abilities if you want like which i like like I like I like that that is you need to you need to use a ton of command abilities to get off the you know number of uh things that you want and rather than other armies in the past where it's like well you need seven command abilities but you know you only get two they're like well here's all these ways to generate command abilities so you can actually use your abilities like how OBR can actually use all of their command abilities and yeah just I, I guess from from my point is like if I wanted to bring in a Degash heavy OBR list I'd have to sacrifice. Dis- relentless discipline points for Nagash, but in Seraphons, I don't have to because I can just take two slons, which is half the, effectively half the cost of Nagash and does the same amount of spell casting and better in some cases. Uh, and I get like, I still get all the command points. I, I just don't understand like what they were really designed when they designed that. I guess the only limitation is that you only have six leader slots in match play, and that's it. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, they they always could increase the cost of things come the summer, the gen- next general's handbook. So if there are things that are just way too cheap and abusable, like I feel like the book has enough solid things going for it that they can fix things as they become abusable. Yeah, I mean, and that's fair. I'm just, I'm just hoping that it's not too late because we're three months away from or four months away. And I feel like the print for general handbooks already kind of like in wraps at this well, point. Th- this is the same thing that happened to uh, Skaven and uh, flesh eater courts. They can just have the FAQ released after the general handbook actually change points. Yeah. So, you know, well, there are ways to fix it. They I have it, shown it, that they are willing to fix abusable mechanics. My redeemable hope here, guys, is that uh, it's very simple. They, this is all marketing ploy. They're getting all these like very magic heavy armies out of the way, and then they're going to release Luminef or uh, Luminef uh, whatever the elves, and there's just going to be oh by the way all your magic yeah it does nothing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like it's going to be like that mechanic basically. It's like haha. Games Workshop got you. <laughs> or we can just go heavily invested in uh, Reapers of Vengeance corn armies. With uh, Wrath of Corn Bloodthirsters getting like triple denies at plus two with Hexagorgia Skulls just shutting down all the magic. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's, yeah, gonna have, that's gonna have to be our hot take on uh, Seraphon. I'm actually very surprised that uh, the, Lewis, the internal Lewis Black didn't uh, go as Lewis Blacky as I thought. Well, you, you kind of broke them down before I had to because you talked about the uh, Bound Endless spells and I was going to go full on like, why would you design such a terrible mechanic? Like, why? <laughs> I, I like uh, the mechanic of Bound Endless spells. A, I think 10 points more than the other spell is way too cheap. 
Um, but that can be fixed with points. And B, you shouldn't be able to double tap them. Like you shouldn't be able to take both. I'm sure that that yeah, would be like – that's an errata worthy thing. Yeah, I the mean how, how can you take problem. both? How would you well, even Well, because there are two different War Scrolls. One is called Geminids Bound and one is called Geminids. Is it in the book? It's actually yep. two different yeah. War Scrolls? There are different War Scroll. Oh, my God. All the bound all the bound spells are just copy and paste the spell from the, the, the app, but with the word bound on it and different point costs in their book. Mm. So it's a completely different War Scroll. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if, if that was intended, I, I don't know. I feel it's I feel heavily like implied that you probably are only allowed those or the other one and not both. Well, but according I, I feel to Jeremy, like, that's not what Ben Johnson said. But nope. I mean, like, if that was, if I feel like this isn't the first time that they have gone back on something they intended because they didn't, uh, they didn't realize <coughs> six crisis suit commanders. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, well, they've now gone back to that. Um, that's the truth. Yeah. But like, they didn't realize the, un- the, you know, what it would have done. They like, did intend it to be this way. And then when the competitive scene got a hold of it, they're like, oh, we didn't mean for it to be done this way. Can I can I end it on one positive note for for my, for why I think I would if I would play Seraphons if I, if if I would build them, it's very simple. They're now the only true heavy cav army in the game. They're heavy. They're they're source. I hate the models. They're bloody ugly. They need a new update. But the cavalry units in the Seraphon book are amaz- amaz- amazingly solid. Um, there's a combo where you can get them to basically do two mortal wounds, I think, on sixes to wound, and give them an extra attack. Uh, and they're just incredibly deadly. Uh, they can also get plus one to hit and plus one to wound. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like they did such a good job making things you never see on the table good again for for Seraphons. But then, like, they also, why would you bother taking Source Warriors when you can just design the list to be a summoning teleporty change host list with like magic dominance. I will say to what Jeremy said is that a lot though, I think one of the uh, good things about the book is that when you look at the war scrolls, like I was not impressed with the cavalry at first, but then when you realize, Oh wait, you have this command ability from this sub faction with this spell, with this uh, command ability from this character, all of a sudden they just, go nuts so they have a lot of synergies and you have to use all those synergies and find all those synergies because just looking at the war scrolls they do look very um mediocre yeah well and that's gonna be a wrap for seraphon for us you guys so we're gonna have to talk about it a little later when we uh, start to see it start uh popping up once the book is out And of course, this weekend there was the uh, GT and Norway, specifically the ArmCon 2020 Age of Sigmar uh, GT. There were about 35 people who showed up to the tournament, and uh, there were a lot of different armies and a good spread in this uh, very unique area. Um, you know, the top podiumed armies were Disciples of Zinch, Blades of Corn, and Fire Slayers in that order. Uh, like we typically do in, in terms of a tournament. Um, there's always one of us that's uh, always keen to look at the packet before anything else. John, can you tell me a little bit about your hot take of this tournament? Sure, sure. Not a problem. So AOS at Armacon 2020, couple things that I took away from the tournament packet. Number one, painting armies were fully required. This is becoming the standard nowadays. They use the BCP app. 
They did require you to upload your list to BCP. They also required you to have one printed copy so that all of your opponents didn't have to look in it. One thing that was worth noting was dice, and I'll just read it for you. In order for the results of dice rolls to be clear to both players, the dice you use at Armacon can only have a symbol on one of the six sides. The other five must either be numbered or represented by easily readable dart dots. It also goes on to say that faction dice such as Eidneth Deepkin, Gloomspite, Squig, and other similar sets are not allowed at Armacon. So none of your janky dwarf dice will be allowed. They're using time uh, chess clocks on every single table. And one of my favorite things that I read in this entire tournament, Armacon expects every player to behave their best. You are attending one of the largest tabletop tournaments in Norway, and we run these for you and your fellow players. Behavior we find breaking, and then it goes on to say that if you break the values of Armacon, they're going to give you the big red flag and all of that good stuff. So I think it was a real positive packet. It goes on to have pretty standard stuff. I thought it was pretty neat. Jeremy, were you taking a look at the missions at all on this one? Yeah, I uh, I I really like their mission pick. Well, firstly, they picked General Handbook 20, 2019. No realm spells allowed at the event. Um, so that's that seems to be a trend nowadays. I feel like, um, but they they played effectively. Uh, game one, total conquest. Game two, shifting objectives. Game three, scorched earth. And then the second day, uh, star strike and focal point. And the most important part about all these five missions is that. The, they're rewarding armies that can reposition quickly. Uh, most of, they're all progressive scoring points, even Scorched Earth to an extent, because it's the four, eight objective mission, uh, and where you play where basically you can burn your opponent's objective, uh, but you you could just sit on it and score a point versus burning it for D three. So it's it's it the game all the mission designs they're using are very much about repositioning and, and playing the objective game. Nothing is about kind of like the whammy uh, kind of surprise. Like if you own both of all, all the objectives by turn three, you win the game. Um, so I thought there were that was good. There was also no hero or behemoth or whatever, like only objectives, which I know some people would say, well, that just punishes like certain armies. But for the most part, like I like the fact that they, they stuck to a mission statement that was like, hey, you want to play this tournament? You better be damn bringing an army that can shift uh, when you need to, because sometimes the objectives you're scoring are not the most important objectives you're going to want to score. I do I do want to add one more thing uh, I thought I appreciated about their packet, um, which is that they they had a they have their unique uh, take on Archeon's uh, uh, host of the ever chosen uh, rule, uh, which is basically they were providing uh, players. I, I don't know how many players they actually showed up with that host of the ever chosen army of Archeon. But they were instead of you know rolling the dice in secret and to figure out who's going next uh, on the next battle turn, they actually hand everybody, uh, all the players, a deck of six cards, and they had to turn in those six cards back to the teal every game. They were, I think, they were trying uh, to prevent people from using loaded dice effectively. Um, I, I think it's an extra level of. Of scrutiny that I appreciate, uh, but also at the same time, it's it's kind of like it's that's crazy to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was that, that that was my take about the event. But Gareth, like, who do you give me a breakdown of actually who ended up winning this event? So, in the top placings, uh, obviously at first place, we have the big bad boogeyman that is Disciples of Zinch Change Host. 
not much to say there. It's a change host list. Uh, second place, <laughs> yeah. Uh, second place uh, actually was a really cool Blades of Corn list. And as a longtime corn player, I, I took a look at this one. Uh, it's Reapers of Vengeance with the Dark Feast Battalion, which is a blood uh, a blood stoker and a slaughter priest, and a crap ton of blood reavers. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, ten menus of blood reavers. And that the as long as the slaughter priest is alive, uh, the blood reavers get plus one attack. And as long as and any unit near the stoker is immune to battle shock. And then he has a blood secretor and 15 wrath mongers. So he is just dumping extra attacks on the blood reavers. So as long as they're near the blood secretor, they're at plus two attacks, plus one attack for the slaughter priest, plus one attack for the wrath mongers. So these blood reaver units are dumping like five or six attacks. Um, and he's got a bloodthirster of insensate rage with a thermal router cloak to just be a distraction card effects, I'm assuming. And then uh, the nine untamed beast guys. So I don't know. It's just a really cool, unique corn list. And it got second place with four wins and a pretty substantial loss at 14 points. So he performed really well, admirably. I'm glad he did well. And then third place was a uh, fire slayers list. Looks to be pretty standard. Hermdar, 40 Hearthguard Berserkers, some Arc Hearthguard. So that, that's the podium we had right there. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting as far as gaming metrics, they went with uh, just battle points, then battle points, strength of schedule, and then they used number of wins as a tiebreaker after that. The battle points alone was enough to break the placings up. Um, I don't think there were many ties among battle points, and then the strength of schedule after that seemed to do well. But uh, so um, interesting top places with a nice ogre in fourth and some KO at five. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a really interesting, cool event. I think the mission packet played well into that. So any final thoughts about this event, Alex? Yeah, you know, I actually think it's really funny. Um, that ogre guy who got fourth place, um, I'm going to try my best here. Uh, ah, man, the letters here um, are, are really getting me. Adaris. I'm not going to pronounce his last name. We're going to call him AB. AB did a great job. Um, and it is something to be said that he had a 10 model army, um, you know, just having uh, two stone frost lords on Stonehorn, a Huskorn on Stonehorn, a Stonehorn beast rider, um, two, uh, a Mornfane pack of two, and a Mornfane pack of four. Boom. There you go with an Earl Bad Battalion. And uh, he went. Four and uh, four and zero going into round five, and lost to the disciples as each player to a change host on round one. Uh, or, I mean, in the final round of the the tournament, uh, round five. And uh, there's something to be said about that. He's only a few points behind the fire slayer guy in third place in terms of battle points. So uh, that is going to be uh, that's going to be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, one other, uh, and I, I just got to give the guy props for having a ten model army and doing so good. For four games in a row. And Jeremy, I think there's one more part of the uh, the tournament packet that you wanted to explore real quick before we move on. Uh, I think he was just talking about the part where it talks about players will actually not be allowed to abuse the packet. Basically, what they mean by that is if a judge makes a bad ruling somewhere in the game, then mm. that bad ruling does not necessarily set a precedent for the rest of the tournament. If they figure out it was a bad ruling, then they're going to go ahead and correct that ruling. So that's that's a nice little aspect that they have in there. And then one other thing I was noticing, if we're going to kind of finish off with that, is 
They only allowed 180 minutes, so three hours per round. And if you don't finish your game to a natural conclusion, it was minus two points, and that's cumulative throughout the entire tournament. So finish those games. Exactly. Yeah. But so I just wanted to like finish on that as well. Um, I'm wondering if the Norway scene is really tight and competitive because they they definitely had a lot of things in the packet that were trying to shut down all of the abusable and bad uh, mechanics that people tend to worry about in competitive play. So they really tightened up everything. We're like, nope, we're not going to have any, we're not going to stand for any of the shit. Just don't try to abuse anything or fuck you. And I like that. Um, I'm just wondering if they have a really a competitive scene that they had to have this, or they just were being preemptive to make sure that they had the best event. Um, the other thing I wanted to go over is, as you mentioned, Alex, with that ogre player losing to the top placing guy and him being popped down to fourth, it makes me wonder uh, about using battle points as a metric, because if we just went with win loss and then strength of schedule, I believe he would have gotten second place because his strength of schedule would be much higher playing the guy who won the tournament in the last round. And so I don't know. It's just an interesting thing that he did so well, plays the guy at the top table and uh, only loses to him. And then that bumps him down the fourth place because other people had potentially easier matchups. They were able to get higher points. So just a thought I wanted to throw out there as I uh, constantly preach my practice of wanting to eliminate battle points from tournaments. (laughs) That's an interesting discussion that we may need to explore in the future. No, we won't. (laughs) (laughs) And now with March being the uh, tournament organizer month for the wide world of war gaming, uh, we have with you the interview with uh, Scott Reed, the uh, frontline gaming SoCal open and LVO tournament organizer. Enjoy. And as mentioned earlier, we do have Scott Reed with us tonight. Uh, he is the tournament organizer for both LVO, Las Vegas Open's Age of Sigmar major event, in addition to the uh, tournament organizer for SoCal Open major event as well, both uh, run by uh, Frontline Gaming. Uh, Scott, thank you for uh, coming on. And uh, we always like to start these conversations by asking you what is on your workbench? Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, well, I'm working on some KO boats right now. I have some of the um, gun haulers oh. put together and on some uh, magnetic stands ready to go. So that's kind of what I'm uh, building some trolls because I'm never into one army. I'm, if I work too long in one, I always have to switch and I lose interest. So, But right now, gun boats mainly. Okay. okay. Jeremy's uh, building and painting up a KO army right now too. That's a... Uh... It's a tall order. What kind of boats? Which ones? Uh, just the just the gun haulers right now. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I got four of them over there and painting them up in the uh, dark blue and kind of beige for uh, Minar, Mornar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Going for uh, that shadowy pirate look. <laughs> yeah. I liked them in the last look. It's the I always paint by scheme, and then if the rules work, great. Well, at least the word nice thing you'll be able to, uh, you know, properly drink yourself some uh, nice other uh, whiskey uh, during the tournament. So, no matter what I'm playing, I can drink. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and you're starting a troll army. Is it going to be an all troll army? 
Um, I painted a bunch of goblins. I've got some trolls, but yeah, I've got enough for all trolls. And like anything else, usually when I buy an army, I just kind of get all of it, all the different choices. (laughs) So yeah, I have enough I could do probably at least a thousand points in trolls at this point. Oh, wow. That's a lot of trolls though. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. And they look like a real fun army to paint. Um, Just Yeah, they're very expressive models and Mm-hmm. Totally. I love the, the kind of jaggedness, uh, jaggedness of the rocks that they have. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you have, you know, several armies. You're not really working on one at a time. You got a lot spread out. And, you know, with that, I got to ask, uh, what got you into the hobby? You know, what's your origin story? Well, I had a friend who was working at a game store, back when wizards of the coast had game stores Mm -hmm. and um, he wanted to get into playing Warhammer. wanted to, the box was lizard men and uh, the Bretonians. He wanted the Bretonians. So I took the lizard men. And then years later when it came out with the orcs and, and um, empire, he wanted all the empire. And then he shortly stopped playing after that. And I kept playing. So it goes back a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so back in the old Warhammer Fantasy days. Um, how did things get started for you then for Age of Sigmar? You know, we didn't really start off with a with a matched play rules, so to speak. No, um, me and several people in the area here in San Diego where I live, we, we just liked the rules as they were and played. And after, I mean, without points, me and a few of the friends down here, we would put models on the table, and after a few games, you'd know what roughly what was a fair fight. So we just played that way and it confused people who needed points. They would, you know, how are you figuring this out? And like, we just put them on the table and roll dice and have a good time. And then they gave us points. So, you know, that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, (laughs) AOS was a rough change. We had a burgeoning league here with lots of players and then AOS dropped and they decided not to, they, they gave it one small go, tried to come up with some sort of points and rules and after that didn't work out, they just gave up and everyone who ran stuff here walked away. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of what got me into running things is I, we'd show up and go, somebody should do this. Somebody should do that. So the person who asks usually ends up being the one who does do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, that's it's great. brave on you on taking that as well. You know, <laughs> you can be like <laughs> me and not, and not doing any, any effort. you like... Yeah, I could be the first one to ask, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to solve this problem for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. You kind of filled that uh, that void that was present in the community in, in your area. Yeah. I mean, it started with small things. They ran like little, um, you know, looked at what Warhammer World was doing, and they were doing little uh, game, uh, was it a Skull of Thrones events, where it was all just sports votes and some neat little narrative. So we did that and we'd have six people. I did another one. We got eight people. And when the general's handbook dropped, that's when everything kind of exploded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then it became a game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, one that more people could relate to and, and kind of know what to do, I guess it's in a lot of ways, I think not coming out with points or not explaining a strategy when they started is, is what really made the transition rough. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely understand that. You know, um, in our previous episode, we we spoke with Jeremy Swope, and he had mentioned to uh, Jeremy, our Jeremy, <laughs> that um, there was a points-based system that was kind of unofficial that was used and developed by some uh, Canadian organizers. Did you ever look at that in the in the void, or had you been aware of that at the time? Oh, there were a lot of them. There was... Um... Well, DKP, I remember right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was one that, <laughs> <laughs> there was one that the, they used called MoComp that kind of ended up becoming what they used for South Coast GT that yep. looked like the frame they actually used for the first points. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that's what they actually used, but, you know, it's a nice story. Yeah, that's actually what he had referenced um, in the interview. Uh, it seems like that might have very well been the kind of origins of General's Handbook, or at least the seeds to it. Um, what got you into running these bigger events then, past uh, General's Handbook? You know, match play is out and about. Uh, obviously, in terms of frontline gaming, they are dominant in 40K, and they, you know, LVO has been going on for several years, BAO has been going on for over half a decade. What got you into running these uh, these FLG events? Well, um, they were in San Diego. They've since moved to Vegas this uh, Christmas, actually, the company itself. So they knew me. Um, I had run several one-dayers here. Uh, they, I got uh, asked to do Broadside, Broadside Bash. That's a San Diego event that's not happening anymore. The gentlemen oh, are looking yeah. at trying to run something different, but the convention they were tied to stopped running. So they're trying to figure out what they want to do if they want to run another one. But as far as I know, nothing's official, but they're trying to do a thing. So I had run that one. And so they asked me for the second Las Vegas Open AOS uh, tournament to run it. And that's just kind of like I said, I was doing things here. They saw me run things. They just kind of asked, can I go do this other thing? And it's kind of grown every year that first, the first year when, Games Workshop ran it. Uh, the Warhammer World guy came out, uh, Bracken, John Bracken. He, uh, we had 60-something players, 64-ish, 65-ish players. Then the next year, we ended up in the 90s. And the last year one, we had pushed into 129. And this last year past, we had 169 players at Dice Drop. So it just keeps getting bigger and more and more scary, you know? Yeah. And this time it's, you know, you have an armada of, uh, you know, judges helping you out. You got a little squad going, right? Yeah. Well, it was, that was the big complaint from last year when I sent out the questionnaire was we just didn't have enough judges and I've kind of used to up to 30 or 60. I can kind of run it myself. Uh, I just need one person to kind of be my, um, uh, stand in. So my ringer, I have ringer games for people. Because I, I don't like people showing up to a tournament and not getting a game in right. and getting a buy. Um, but uh, then last year, yeah, it was just it was just too much for me and uh, two volunteers. So we ended up getting a few more people. One of which ended up on the uh, stream actually. Roger volunteered to go sit down with um, John Fearhelm and, and do the stream. So that was that was great. Did it work better this year with more people wandering around? <laughs> Did you get as many complaints in the in the packet in the review in the review form? 
I actually haven't sent it out yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say I have I have a lot of things I need to catch up on. There's some people who I need to reach out to who got faction pieces and stuff, but the day after that I was back at work and I teach. So the start of anything is lots of work, lots of paperwork to catch up on. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of kept going and I have report cards soon. So uh. <laughs> I do need to reach out to those people who got faction specifics and send them their little envelope and, and letter. I did send out the wooden spoon and uh, cleared up a few of the other prizes, but I have uh, a couple of exchanges doing some other things to catch up on. Okay. Well, I mean, I personally had no complaints in terms of judges. I saw the orange shirts moving around everywhere. Um, you know, the, that that's really, really helpful. Um, I myself, ha- I think I've called a judge in AOS maybe once in the last ever, <laughs> but, uh, but still, you know, it's, it's really helpful to have them moving around, you know, if anything, just to, to know that they're there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the beauty of AOS, the rule system is still fairly simple enough. Most people can settle their own disputes, which is kind of what you want when you judge an event, you don't want to step in and solve somebody's problem. You just answer questions you're asked occasionally, you know, do a thing here or there, but you'd like the table to settle their own issues. Anybody looking to get into running a tournament, that's kind of how you, you don't go up to a table. It looks like there's problems. You just watch them and you intervene if it gets too far, but usually you let the table settle it because the players will stand up for themselves and talk out their rules more often than not. Yeah. That's a good philosophy to have. Um, yeah, that's actually the, the point that you brought up just a moment ago. Seems like it's one that can be sometimes contentious about, um, you know, t- interjecting during the game. Now, we all know that interjecting in the game and not being a judge is just completely off limits. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. so you, you wait till there's kind of a very egregious thing that must be addressed, correct? Yeah. I mean, you can kind of look at people's faces and you can tell something's not right or... Usually in like you're asked a question, you always go to the table. So both players are there. I've learned that the hard way a few times where the other player comes to me and says, you know, player X said, you said this was okay. I'm like, that's not what I said. So (laughs) yeah, you go over and and take care of it in front of both of them when you have to, but it's, it it happens so rarely that I need to do any serious calls. Most calls were uh, for the event, I was able to open up the FAQs and point right to the rule that they were asking about. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, and that's very effective. I mean, there's less, like you said earlier, it's a less kind of convoluted rule set. Yeah, and then they're slowly getting there as they add more things. Always strike first, always strike last, kind of threw some wrenches at people. Um, how to place the uh, Bone Reaper's terrain piece. They kind of said, hey, you guys figure it out. So we had gone with um, replacing a model that was on the table. So you remove one of the pieces of terrain and put it in its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, they totally forwarded that over to the TOs. And I expect that they're going to do the same thing for the, um, for I don't even know the name of it, the Seraphon Temple, the ziggurat looking thing. Yeah, we're probably going to have to do the same thing. The Realm Shaper <laughs> Engine, I think. Is there you called. go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so uh, Scott I have some yes. questions I have some questions for you uh, mostly you know that Alex is, uh, is done uh, boring the entire audience and uh, <laughs> more exciting uh, the for the most part you know what I want to know is that 
this year, you, uh, in comparison to last year, there were some fundamental changes in your packet. And I wanted to know like a little bit more about your philosophy behind uh, the changes. Like what was your reasoning um, uh, going into it? Well, I mean, a lot of packet makeup is kind of what do you want to put out there for people? What do you think your group wants? And what are your needs? So I knew we weren't going to get a solid 256, so we're not going to end up with a perfect eight. So then yeah. you need some way to separate people. So the more yeah. uh, I put in a point separator, um, so if you didn't get a certain number of points ahead, it was a minor victory rather than a major. A tie was a tie, but there was a tiebreaker involved where a one point or two point, I'm trying to remember because I've written so many of them now, um, would separate that score. So nobody could end up tying in a, on a table. So we always had a winner and a loser. And those points were then allowed us to clearly put two people because we ended up with six undefeateds. And so we had two people who lost one game, including a gentleman from, uh, I don't remember where he was from, but the uh, Stormcast player, though. Very excited. He's like, wait, I made there. I'm going to be in the top. Yeah, yeah you got to be here tomorrow, bright and early, so you can play your first game. And So, yeah, you, it, mostly those points and all the pieces there for as far as the scoring is concerned, that was all for making sure I end up with two people who can fit in the top eight without resorting to alternate tiebreakers. Okay, let me, uh, let me push on that a little bit, um, mostly because... This for this year for me, like one of the things I loved about the LVO is that you uh, instituted, and this is something I think you did even for SoCal, which was the the gap of points differential. Uh, you you didn't get a major victory just by beating your opponent with Mac uh, if you beat him at one point. Yeah, I've always liked something that shows that the game was close. I mean, back in the old twenty zero days, for those of us who played then, um, it was always kind of satisfactory to lose in a twelve eight. You know, it wasn't, you didn't get walked off the table. You did what you're supposed to do, but you didn't quite edge it out, you know? Yeah. And now with the current system, it's win or loss. It doesn't matter if, you know, we kicked each other back and forth off the objectives. And at the end, I'm one point behind. Oh, it's a major loss. Like, wait, we were this close the whole time. So it's one way to kind of give a little reward to the guy who played really well. And it shows in the scoring. Um. And wins are wins, so the guy who wins by enough, it doesn't matter as long as they don't lose a game, they're going to make the top eight. Did you yeah. see? Did you see? Did you see a, a rising uh, amount of ties though? Um, I don't. We didn't have any ties because it was written in not to have any. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was my leeway question. <laughs> how, how do I get him to admit this? <laughs> no, no. Uh, the, uh, admit what? That I wrote it so there could be no ties. Well, <laughs> what number there's, is social component? Because you described it as I'm trying to make sure there's clear stratus or strata system for uh, winners. Um, but when you describe when you describe the packet to have like kind of like a wave a way uh, sorry a range band of wind to so forth, it makes it almost apparent that like you have the complete opposite problem, which is you have a rising uh, amount of people who are probably going to be doing the same on the same strata consistently, and probably a rising amount of, of ties. But the key was making it impossible to have ties. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there was a one point, like I said, a one or two point thing that only one person could get. So if you got the same number of secondaries and you got the same number of points on the table, that last kicker, 
you know, being the person in control of the objective in the center of the table at the end of the game, being the person who killed the first unit or killed the last unit, kind of just separated for that one or two points to make sure that nobody ended up tied up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I personally like the uh, that type of kind of overall rule set for missions. Initially, I was a little kind of, I wouldn't say concerned. Uh, it took me off guard because it was so different, so massively different than packets, any other packet um, that's been utilized. But in, in retrospect, it is helpful to avoid you know, um, or it does add more of a spread, of course, um, if someone, uh, unless someone completely blows out another person. Um, but it does help with the fact that you do have, uh, secondary points that only one person can get, or, uh, like, you know, this, this discrepancies where it's like, if someone is just barely inching out a win, it's not going to be the exact same score as like a zero fifteen. you know? Right. And, and the, I said, the whole kind of dynamic is is interesting because you wanted to make sure everybody had an opportunity to achieve the goals at the table. They could do it, so you had to make them fairly narrow. Okay. And also to make sure that the points didn't turn a loss into a win. Mm -hmm. okay. So it was set up that if you barely won, you got the tightest score and you achieved all your bonuses and your opponent achieved none of theirs you actually could win and still lose the primary mission by one point or two points. Cause you get the bonus. Yeah. So it was, it was mm -hmm. possible to do so. And I kind of like that in there. Cause if all you did was your primary mission and didn't try to achieve anything else and you barely managed it, then, you know, the loss seems fair. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. there are very few of them that happened, but it's a narrow cause it's such a narrow band, but it, it did happen on some tables. Now, for for yeah. some of my, uh, from some of my uh, for some of the audience who maybe have not you know met Scott, um, he's the uh, gentle giant that sits behind the table. Uh, and um, you know, and the reason I bring this up for it is that uh, when you go to the events, uh, be sure to give him a hug, a pat on the back. Well, unless you got the coronavirus, don't do that. But the point is, uh, <laughs> give him uh, give him a lot of thanks because he does put a lot of effort into this and. I'm guessing you're still going, you know, going to do this next year, right, Scott? You're still planning on being LVOTO for next year. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that differential in point system actually, because I'd like to give credit where I got it from. Um, the uh, Du Bois tournament ran a few of them where they did a separation based on points, and I kind of stole that and played with some games here to to work out where I thought they should fall. So you know, it's I teach and. It's always creative theft teaching. You take somebody else's thing and make it yours. And I, I'm using the same thing with packs. Giants. Hello? Sorry, I was going to say, uh, you standing on the shoulders of giants, basically. <laughs> uh, well, you always get something from somebody else and you make it yours anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I hope, uh, I mean, it's nice. I think it's great that this is like kind of like rising up because I think you'll see it in more uh, events going forward. I, I you know, some of uh, we have some TOs here also. We're getting a little creative with hidden agenda mechanics um, to try to effectively do kind of like a similar thing in the uh, spread of uh, uh, of missions where, uh, you know, they want to do a range band like you have, but then they're doing hidden agendas as that kind of like a, an additional primary point uh, system instead of additional points for like the overall tournament. 
Uh, so giving some some folks like the uh, ability to, you know, kind of like break out of that wave man if you guys are having a close game effectively. But I don't know. Like I from from a purely competitive mindset, it makes the it tells the it still it tells a better story for the event, right? Because the game right now was always too binary, and I know if Garrett was here, he would uh, probably disagree with us, but that's okay, Garrett. Um, you're not here recording; <laughs> you need the time. Uh, but it, make, it it gives it creates a better narrative for the event. If there's more minor wins, more minor losses, it's less punishing, or it's, I guess not punishing, but it feels less demoralizing to the players who did get the the you know the those traditional minor lo- uh, losses, but were registered as major losses, and it also makes it that. You can kind of see like who's like consistent uh, online, especially if people are using BCP to track like who uh, you know what armies are getting more major losses and minor losses and or major wins versus minor wins, and so forth and so forth. So I don't know. It's just for bet for event purposes, it's just a better narrative crafting mechanism. Well, yeah, I really liked I like anything that has extra stuff in it. When I went to Nova two years ago, I won my first round. I went into the second round in a game I was I was going to lose. It was old arcane power. I'm playing my storm cast. I have no casters, and his each army is on the other side of the table, which half of them, you know, over half his army can just stand there and score. And but I was able to get all of my secondaries, all of my other stuff, and close him out. So I lost the game, but I walked away with the most points I thought I probably could have. It gave me something mm-hmm. to do on the table. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's really helpful. And I actually got to say, looking at your pack for LVO, for example, I think that what you did for secondaries and army mission and the kind of secondary on the table was very, very unique. I mean, for the for our listeners who don't remember, you could choose from a handful of uh, hidden agendas that were actual hidden agendas plus two unique ones um, as well uh, for the each mission. And then uh, each mission, uh, each round had its own unique secondary to achieve, which only one person could, I believe. And then yep. uh, the final one was the army mission, which were also just hidden agendas anyway. So you took those 18 hidden agendas, added two of them, and then split them up between three different ways that you can score in the game. I thought that was incredibly unique, um, especially the two that you actually created yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, those were not going to be easy ones to achieve. I don't think I, I think I may have picked one of them, but they, they were, would have been a tough one. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that so many, you know, there is no, of course, you know, ITC format, so to speak for, uh, for Age of Sigmar. So every TO really, truly does their own thing. And it is really, really interesting to see kind of a widespread of how these tournament organizers, take these kind of secondaries into account, like Jeremy mentioned earlier with uh, Riptide, with uh, hidden agendas going towards three points added to your actual score in the game itself, not, um, you know, added at the end of the round uh, for, you know, points or battle points in terms of the tournament itself. Um, But outside of what you currently have um, and and what you've taken from, uh, you know, taken inspiration from, of course, are there any kind of tournament packs that you've been looking at or any rule sets you've been interested in implementing or you've seen things that you think have some merit in the future? Um, I don't know. I Looking around at what some people have done, I mean, I really liked um, at South Coast GT, they did a whole mechanic where, you, and, and I've already borrowed that one for one event, where you can either score a thing or you can use a boon from your 
chosen item and not score those points. That was an interesting one. So like, um, you know, kill the general or you can turn the card over and do mortal wounds to a particular unit and you can't score at all now. Kind of a trade that was interesting. Uh, most of the ones I really like are very narrative and probably don't fit into LVO or um, uh, SoCal Open because those are more seen as more little competitive events. But uh, what uh, Domus is doing in the Midwest with his uh, Midwest Meltdown, he's got a lot of very narrative things chucked into the pack. I would love to steal some of those to use at other events. Like maybe if the broadside guys get back into it, I would start stealing from his uh, from Domus's pack because he's having them use specific realm rules. Uh, he actually had them use monsters last year uh, for uh, the Realm of Beasts on the table. All of that kind of stuff. I, I love that idea. But I'm not sure that fits into, like I said, uh, LVO. I think I, I get a lot of pushback from some players for that. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it really depends on a few different things. I, I mean, the the first thing that you mentioned just now um, about you know doing something or something else. That's I mean, I, I've seen that in your packets already with the belay that rule for. Right. Yeah, and I, I've never belayed that just because I've been like, okay, I need to get my points and I need to make sure I can maximize it. Um, and sometimes in the situation where I've needed to belay that, I've just forgotten. But I've definitely had opponents at SoCal Open uh, undercut me on points by belaying something and using a unique situation or instance. And that is kind of helpful. For, that's very helpful for the game. Yeah, I like those interactions because it enforces choices. I could get the extra points, but if I can pull your hero off that objective and you don't score this turn, because one of them was they have to move towards you. Well, mm-hmm. that, makes, that lets me win the game. That's more points I'm going to get losing. You know, I, I was trying to write ones in that gave those kind of pinch moments that could turn a game if they're really close. Mm-hmm. Okay. I That's, that's great. And again, uh, anything that can create a further point spread is very helpful. Um, when when we take a look at the, the future then for your events, um, are there is there anything that you're anticipating uh, in terms of kind of new rule sets with, or maybe new missions or what what are your thoughts on the future of you know kind of running a tournament or running these larger scale tournaments for uh, AOS? Well, we got a lot. Of, I said two years ago a survey we got some votes that people wanted a sports vote involved. So we rolled that into Renaissance man as well. Um, that definitely will be going forward. Um, I know I'm not running anything big until after the general hand general's handbook drops. We have a summer one here that some guys are running out at one of the casinos, uh, slaughter fest. So I already wrote a pack for that and I'm going to try to keep the same pack for the year. This time I usually change it up every event um, specifically for the reason that I wanted to kind of send the message since I'm the guy who runs the big ones for ITC, uh, AOS, that you can run anything you want. So I constantly was changing the pack. I think this year I'm just going to perfect the one I have, which will have the point differentials, will have the secondaries, will have the split of things, uh, a sports vote involved, um, random pairings. I don't pair by points. I pair by win-loss. Because we all know, and this is something I noticed that happened at LVO, I had a lot of really good players not run into an opponent that was 
similarly ranked ITC wise for mm-hmm. multiple rounds because we had so many people. So a lot of people yeah. running into people where they're just to roll dice and have a good time, like I would. I mean, I'm just going to be showing up to roll dice and have a good time and not care whether or not I win or lose. And I'll end up winning a few games if the field was that big because I want to bump into a lot of armies that I can beat or people who are brand new. And I, I noticed that uh, even in the fourth round, there were a few people who, you know, walked up to a table, played a game with somebody who was also 4 0 and just got rolled off the table and had no idea what happened. As we're a smaller yeah. tournament, you kind of clean out the the people who are, you know, you start seeing a lot more strata quicker. This one I noticed with so many people that didn't happen right away. Usually by round three, you're playing your own. So mm-hmm. I may have to start thinking about including scoring rather than random, but that that's a change that may or may not occur. Um, but yeah, yeah, it'll have the same thing. You win by one or two points. The score is closer if you win by five. You'll have a, a bigger spread and secondaries to clean it out. And the same thing that if you barely win, if you're in that one two point level and didn't get any of your secondaries, it's possible your opponent may still win. Yeah. Be, you know, same, same, same layout, um, same pairing system, unless I start seeing a serious problem every time. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely want to include a, an, an easier way to collect a sports score. So I'll have to, to look into that. Uh, painting. I had uh, one of my one of the, the judges was just there for paint, so I need to we need to work on perfecting that system because you're never gonna. It's so subjective. I don't know if you're ever gonna get a perfect system, but I can see room for improvement from what we did this year. Um. Other than that, trying to find the right missions to use and not use because the gen- new general's mm-hmm. handbook will drop, so we'll have a whole new set of missions. How do I score them? And what is the what are the better ones for tournament? Like the old relocation orb, you would never want to see that at most competitive tournaments. No. <laughs> if the new one sits on the line and goes back and forth, and it's still kind of squiffy on whether or not you'd want to use it. But if they come out with one like that, do you go and use that one in a tournament where literally a dice roll or a random movement of the objective that you can't plan for costs you the game? You know, that's shifting objectives I'm okay with because if you control two of them, it's going to end up landing in your area. So there is a strategy there to try to hold two and just let the dice roll play out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't see any changes forthcoming in a huge nature. I want to just keep the pack I've got. And if you want to see it, you can look on the Slaughterfest site. And I pretty much put the same one up for SoCal. That's already up. And I will use those two to kind of clean up whatever's going on for each successive event. So if I notice a problem at Slaughterfest, I'll clean it out of the pack for SoCal. And if I see a problem at SoCal, I'll clean it out for LVO. So if you're, if you're curious what you're going to see, that's probably pretty close to what you're going to see. Okay. Well, thank you very much for giving that kind of a sneak peek or insider info there. Um, you know, is there, uh, before we uh, wrap everything up here, uh, is there anything that you'd like to promote or? Uh, well, I already mentioned Slaughterfest and SoCal yeah. tickets are up. Uh, those are the two big ones I'm running. Um, I know there's a one in Arizona in two weeks. If the coronavirus doesn't get it canceled at games fair yeah. and your tickets mm-hmm. are quickly running away for purchase, but I would just look for anybody listening, look to a local event, go support your local community, 
volunteer and help. These guys always, I know I always need help. And uh, hopefully I'll see you out on the tables. Perfect. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming by. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. And that concludes our interview with the wonderful Scott Reed, a tournament organizer for both LVO and SoCal Open. Uh, before we wrap things up, John, do you have a quick uh, PSA, quick bit of info you want to share with us? Sure. I just want to remind everybody that we got the Bay Area Open coming up pretty soon. That is going to be May 21st through 25th at the KublaCon convention. Uh, rather than buying the tickets through BCP like normal, you're going to have to go to the KublaCon website, buy a con pass, and you'll find the link to sign up for the tournament while you're there. Hope to see all of you guys there at BAO, May 21st to 25th. It'll be awesome. Yeah, and uh, for the rest of the audience, uh, if you want to play the two top players in the ITC, well, you better show up there. Good night. <laughs> We yeah, also everyone. have the best whiskey in the ITC. <laughs> Ooh, good point. Good point. Yes. Best whiskey <laughs> in the ITC. Great. Well, that'll conclude this episode tonight, everyone. If uh, you want to see something on the podcast, do shout out, uh, give us a shout out on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, or uh, on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're typically going to be on the Frontline Gaming Roll every Thursday uh, evening. However, that can change from time to time. And uh, yeah, we hope to hear from you guys and uh, happy gaming. Night, folks. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.